I've had a request for all five, but we don't all know them, so the first and the last verses are the rap sack. <laughs> Hello and welcome to That Option No Longer Exists, the podcast that comes at today's politics from two of the competing parties inside Labour's broad and falling apart electoral coalition. My name's John Bounds, I'm in the red corner, and with me, my good friend Adam Juniper. In the magenta corner, I guess. So we're recording again... Um, just after something incredibly momentous has happened. You, you can tell quite how the, momentous it is, because John actually sounds pretty bright as we're going. So cheerful, <laughs> excited by the prospect of political <laughs> chaos. Well, my absolute um, favourite thing that's happened so far, of course, that the, the um, court in Scotland has judged Boris Johnson's um, prorogation of Parliament, or actually his advice to the Queen... Um, illegal. But uh, my favourite thing is that Len McCluskey has called um, for someone to uh, make a citizen's arrest <laughs> on Boris Johnson. And if Len doesn't want to do it himself. Len. <laughs> if Len, Len is probably getting um, on the coach from wherever the TUC conference is back down to wherever Boris is hiding this week um, to sort that out. But yes, the, the, um, the judgment has happened. But until the Supreme Court sits on Tuesday, I think it's fair to say that nothing legal will happen, um, um, even though there'll be a little bit of um, political uh, chicanery as it's... Um, as it goes along. Yeah, I think uh, it's going to be an important week for everyone to sit around and talk about what might happen if the court decides one of the three possible outcomes. Uh, I'm saying three outcomes because we've got one, actually the Scottish are wrong and it was fine and within the law and that's the end of that. Or number two, they declare it to be illegal but don't really feel they can actually get involved themselves. Or... Number three, they declare it to be illegal and declare uh, an injunction that forces Parliament back to, you know, bring them all back from their respective holidays and get on with, well, what would be a full-blown constitutional crisis. But at least it would be on TV. Well, some of it. Um, it's, um, no, it's, it's it's really fascinating in the sense that, you know, they... Uh, they say that you um, you can't make an omelette without breaking eggs. Um, it's definitely true that Theresa May spent all of her premiership attempting to make a Brexit omelette without breaking the egg of the Tory party. Um, Boris Johnson just seems to have gone straight in. He's absolutely chucking him in, shell with a red lion mark on and all. Yeah, and now we've realised exactly how intrinsically linked the Conservative Party uh, with the small sea of Conservative Britain is. And now... Uh, Boris is definitely trying to find out which ones are his party. Let's not say the Conservatives, because it's not really the Conservatives anymore, is it? It's his lot. Um, and everyone else can go and bleep off. Well, that's really interesting. I think there's a very, very odd thing to do when you consider that, I don't know, he must have known there was a, I don't know, 10% at least that wouldn't go with him. Yeah, well, I think he must wouldn't have, go with him in the short. He term, must yeah. have thought they were all wusses and would come along. And I think you know, Amber Rudd is the most. You know, she, that's this week. <laughs> believe it or not, it's it's since we last spoke. Um, but uh, her departure tells you all you need to know that even the wusses have a limit. 
She was prepared to give the standard, completely dishonest, oh, but, you know, I'll have more influence inside, blah, blah, um, story up until recently. And now she is running away to hang around with Boris's sexier brother. It's phenomenal, isn't it? Because we always say there are no Tory rebels. And to a certain extent, on every policy issue, there have been no Tory rebels. All of these people that, you know, talk a good game, Rudd, Rory Stewart, Ken Clark or whatever, they have been voting for the the worst excesses of the Tory regime. It's just that in the last two years, none of them have got through because their majority was too feeble. And they've been basically, you know, trying to mix that um, trying to mix that omelette and just getting absolutely nowhere so it's it's definitely weird when they they come out of nowhere yeah i mean like ken clark in fairness he's you know not always voted with the government but certainly rory stewart you know he's uh he's he's playing an entirely different game isn't he he wants to lead the new small c conservative party i think Rory Stewart is a really odd and very edge case and I was fascinated by the idea that the Lib Dems and the Greens were going to stand down uh, in the forthcoming general election and I say forthcoming this is possibly the longest of long campaigns we're ever going to see because that election could be another two and a half years (laughs) yeah but the campaign has absolutely kicked off and with no purder or whatever the government are using all the tricks to um you know to campaign we've seen adverts and you know photo opportunities with the police we've seen them saying that no deal will give you duty free cigarettes <laughs> um it's just but the lib dems and greens the idea that they will stand down for an independent candidacy from rory stewart is phenomenally interesting not only is he pro brexit let's forget that he's not not let's not let's remember that he's not even pro second referendum he's pro brexit he wants to get a he wants essentially may's deal that's really really weird that they would go okay he's a part of our remain alliance that's so mad and it also shows as far as i can see an utter ignorance from the lib dems and greens of how small a personal vote for an mp is well exactly i mean especially i mean he was on the telly a little bit as hey look he doesn't look like the rest of them. He's not going to win. Oh, look, he might not lose as badly as we thought. Oh, he did. I mean, that's his whole story, isn't it? As far as, far as I'm aware, apart from the walking across Afghanistan smoking um, opium, yeah, that's as far as I'm aware. That, and being a... It's, he's, he's not part of the establishment because he was only tutor to um, the princes uh, for a short amount of time after he finished eating. <laughs> the... Um, uh, and then went into a, an easy commission in, in the army. <laughs> Essentially, um, they stand aside for Rory Stewart and say Amber Rudd has also indicated that she'd stand as an independent. She has a tiny majority there. Um, was it 600 in the end at the last election? Um, the idea that her force of personality, her sort of animal magnetism to the the electorate... I don't think you can say animal hold... magnetism and Amber Rudd in, like... It's just... It's the exact opposite. She has a sort of frightening... Ugh. I don't have words. Well, considering the... We've now got something, like, approaching 30 independent MPs sitting in the, the Commons... Um, that have come from from various parties, none of which, as far as I'm aware, you might be able to correct me, none of which 
were elected as independents. Oh. The last person, the last person to be elected as an independent, could have been Martin Bell. I can't remember. <laughs> yes, yes, Bell was the end of it. Um, no, I, I, isn't there somewhere that always returns some kind of independent, but like affiliated I mean, independents anyway? They're like they always say independent Labour or something. I mean, uh, Dudley's going to be one of those, isn't it? Potentially. Well, the chance of anyone um, electing Ian Austin is on based on based on Ian Austin's personality it would be very 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 amusing and quite frightening that would be when we know the actual uh, rule of law and democracy is broken down if someone's looked at Ian Austin and thought that's the man we want representing I, I think um, Dudley's going to be um, actually a sort of microcosm of what the whole next general election is going to be which is people essentially choose who they hate the least um, so you know people who no one's heard of have quite a good chance the Brexit Party feel they're in with a decent chance. The Tories feel they're in with a decent chance there, um, presumably because they'll be fielding somebody else. Ian Austin made the mistake, or no? Now he's fully in supporting uh, Brexit, or not? It's I don't. Because there's a very Brexit constituency, supports. isn't it, Dudley? It's, it's the sort of constituency yeah. where. Um, you would think Boris would do well. But I heard a wonderful thing on the Today programme this morning where he was described as a knob by a potential but, voter. Uh, Ian Austin or Boris? Boris. <laughs> I'd say I don't even know enough voters know who Ian Austin is to call him to call him a knob. But it's... Um, yeah, it, it's... Dudley is a, a real weird microcosm, but I think there's a... The idea that Ian Austin holds a personal vote above anything above about five or ten percent, and I think that goes for pretty much any candidate. Yeah, I know. I completely agree. With with you know, with the exceptions of the Martin Bell-esque characters, um, which does not happen often, does it? Um, you're not going to get a lot of situations. You know, the only way people hear about a specific MP is if they rise to a high cabinet office or they're assassinated. And um, yeah, we, let's not say that we we'd, we'd like to pick or choose which one happens to which, but so essentially it means that when this you know when this election finally arrives, the most of the the marginals the Lib Dems want to win are Tory marginals. But that's all right. That's the ones I want them to win. <laughs> but the, yes, this is. But the ones that they want to. The, but then they've decided that they're actually. But their positioning is all about, and it will be about attacking Labour. Because that's that's how they would might that's how they might win a Tory marginal, and it seems like they're happy to let softer Tories, but only slightly softer on this one issue, Tories through. Doesn't it absolutely decimate the Lib Dem vote in areas where there might be a slightly left it leaning? Because it gives up the idea that they're going to win votes in sort of Lib Dem Labour marginals, and there are a few. Doesn't yeah. it, that just means well, like, I guess, I guess, actually, tactically, you know, for the Progressive Alliance, we don't really want to see them going after Labour too hard. They know that Labour are not looking to have a particular. Well, they obviously they hope to, but Labour are not polled to or expected to do particularly well. They might do as badly as last Ooh. time. They might do a little better than last time. There was a, there was a, I've seen a com, I've seen a comrades where they're back in the lead. Yeah, I, I, but, but I've um, seen well, them the other way around. Um, 
it's unpredictable at best. Um, yes. And I think that at the moment, you'd rather have the Lib Dems tying themselves to the European issue because that's one they're more likely to have to cooperate with Labour on. Um, whereas on previous occasion, the the previous occasion, the one that caused all this trouble in the first place, arguably, um, the Lib Dems felt they had to go with the largest party, uh, which was definitely not Labour. Have you? I mean, you've seen their pivot now to um, saying that revoke is the correct option, not this people's vote thing they've been asking for for two years. The it seems it, really it seems depends like on which election gets played, doesn't it? I mean, it, better to just shut up. And see how things go, if you're them, it, to be absolutely I would, honest. I, I mean, I would have thought so. It seems like they've read the Wikipedia page for Overton Windows and nothing else. If we have, Bor- if we have Boris's election, right, it's an election about Brexit. So they're quite right. They can go ahead with a revoke, whatever. Um, it actually, revoke will be just as popular um, as hard Brexit with the crazy lunatics who are more concerned with getting it done than anything else. And there are, you know, those seem to be ever increasing by the day. Um, but, you know, for those who want some sort of democratic legitimacy, uh, then there is the Harold Wilson, sorry, um, Jeremy Corbyn approach, I guess, of having yet more negotiations and then eventually picking a side from your own choices. Um, which, of course, is how Harold Wilson did it in 1975. Um, although it didn't do him any favours it definitely got that issue behind him for a few years it's the grown up it's the grown up way to do it I think but what I have been seeing um, sort of noises about with Labour's position is that the idea is that we wouldn't make too big a deal of the negotiations it might even be that we don't intimate that Labour are leading them more that we send the civil service to do the best deal I mean I know that's the actual case of the machinations of how it happens anyway with um, uh, May sending um, Ollie Robbins to go and do it. But the um, the idea that Labour might essentially say, this is, the, you know, this is the, the deal that the civil service managed to negotiate based on what we've tasked them with. Yeah. Do you think that's good enough? And almost trying to deny responsibility for it, it seems to be setting... Not having a national Labour. conversation about red lines at the beginning is certainly the way to go about it. Maybe send civil service to go and deal with the uh, European civil service and say, look, bring us back a couple of different choices based on, you know, different... To, you know, one with with, a, with the loss of freedom of movement, one without. Because those, I think, would probably be the ones that people would want to see. It'd be inter- I mean, the idea that we'd have a very complicated two or three stage referendum scares the life out of me. The idea that people would, um, it, well, actually, it might be it might be a good thing. It would bore the life out of the issue as a way of slowly putting it to bed. I know everyone gets to play at being a politician, and then they realise that it's terrible and it's it's not fun at all. The um, interesting uh, leak I saw from um, Sky uh, News yesterday they suggested that someone had uh, said that, you know, if they get to see, if the public get to see the Yellowhammer documents and our internal memos, Brexit is finished. They'll manage to get enough of, enough of the public they want to believe that, oh, yeah, well, that's last week. I mean, now we know it's absolutely fine. Last week, yeah, it was very worrying. But now, yeah. No, I don't see don't see what could go wrong. 
I mean, what did you make, by the way, um, of of today's announcement that has been from the uh, Home Office or from Number Ten, saying foreign students will be allowed to stay for two years as they used to be, rather than the four months after they uh, finish their degrees, um, which was what Theresa May brought in when she was in the Home Office. Excuse my beeping noise. It's it seems that. You know there are there's a, there are two versions of of government going on. There are the pronouncements that are made by the likes of Priti Patel or Amber Rudd or Theresa May or or Boris or whatever, and then the actual things that the government enacts, which are when those statements hit the sort of cold hard air of reality, and everybody starts feeling a little bit sick, and then it gets slipped out that. Pretty Patel suggests that freedom of movement would end on the 31st, and we find out that there's absolutely no way that that's practical or legal. And it just gets slightly... It just gets brushed under the carpet. So enough people will have read the headlines the first time round. Yeah. And then... It, it then it dis- then it disappears. So there's a sort of but what was the point? There is an increase. I understand the, incre- you know the, the getting the headlines out the the Pretty Patel thing um, the other week. I just don't understand the tactic here. Is it just a look the other way? It, there was a lot of quotes of global Britain, which seemed to be the phrase that, you know, the fascist Brexiteer lunatics wanted to use to defend themselves. Like, look, we don't hate foreigners. Um, you know, it's all about global Britain. It's just Europe that we don't trust. I mean, they're foreign too, but, you know, they're a bad kind. They want... Um, so was it, was it that? Uh, are they are they trying to give that sort of cover to that? Is that the ten percent? You know that, that we spoke of who are leaving the Tories. Well, I think it's. A, I think there's a sort of um, almost like reverse dog whistle going on. It's this is something that they they want to say, but they don't want their constituency, their base, to hear it. So that is the that's the, the it's meant to be at the frequency that only the press can hear. That only the sort of the only really the Guardian can hear. So it's a it's a piece of misdirection. It's a sort of um, it's a it's a defence. Um, it's misdirection that the they're, same, they're comfortable is not going to get picked up in the sun or anything. You know, yeah. And if the people on the B, what the the Times and the BBC and the sort of broadly impartial viewers, um, they're gonna just accept it, deal with it. I think. I think so. I think it gives them. I think it gives them cover. So, oh, of course not. And it's that sort of the way it starts. You always start on any questions or on question time. Of course not. And it comes up like a little circle, and it sort of rises, and it just means essentially. Here is here is our way. Here is our cover of absolutely dodging that question to. There's a, there's a, we've talked about this before. There's, there's a, a sort of double think in the press, a sort of institutional double think where we have, where the press decided have, at some point they've had a meeting and <laughs> not really, not a meeting. It's a, a mimetic thing, but they've all decided that they're going to take what the Tories say at face value, despite them being proven liars again and again and again and again. It's at what the point? Tor- the, it, yeah, what the Tories collective, but it doesn't seem like Boris is going to get the same treatment. Is that a, just a sort of sniff of um, 
a sniff of blood in the water for a sort of the, the sort of shark mentality. Once someone's weak, who's it? The lead, the leader writer for the Times was talking about you know the influence of Rupert Murdoch and how sort of detached it was. Like you know they don't get rung up and told what the paper thinks, and the main thing they think, you know. Possibly the main area of interest in Brexit is that it was going to cause chaos and is therefore newspaper friendly. Um, you know, rather than whether the newspaper jet or Murdoch genuinely thinks it's a good idea. Uh, which, which. Well, they refer in, um, in sort of in the 30s Germany, they often referred to this as, um, working towards, i.e., um, so lower-level officials and, and bureaucrats didn't need to be explicitly told that they could beat up Jews or, or whatever, but they were, they believed that the messages coming from the central government, whether that was what they should be doing. And we see this in, a, in Trump's America with immigration officials and police and, um, and the uh, ICE, as they, as they call them, being a lot more vicious than they're actually instructed to be. Which is, of course, exactly what the what what Trump wants. But um, so they're right about that. But the, that gives him a legal cover. And I think there's a there's a certain um, there's a certain aspect of that going in going on in the UK as well. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's very clear that um, people have increased their unpleasantness and feel protected by the government in that sense. I'm genuinely worried. I'm genuinely interested to see about what the reaction to the um, Supreme Court ruling is, whichever way it goes. Because I've been, I was, I've been sort of like wargaming in my own head the idea that we do have that general election, and it beca- and it's fairly close, as you think it's going to be fairly close. But say it's not a thumping majority for for Jeremy Corbyn. Say it's a say it's a hung say it's a hung parliament, but Labour are the, the largest party. Just say that happens. I've been in my head I can see a speech that Johnson gives which essentially suggests he's refusing to budge. Yeah. And he won't go. I can see him talking about oh there have been widespread allegations, I mean no evidence, but there have been allegations of postal vote fraud in Labour winning areas which there the were in the, the yeah. by-election, even though there was no evidence. Oh, there's been foreign interference and unrest without saying which side it was interfering on. But you say it and you say it and you go, in the national interest and the interest of national security will remain in office just until the investigations are carried out. Um, you know, this is an unusual situation. We'll declare a sort of technical state of emergency, which will be a state of emergency to let them introduce martial law, but they'll call it a technical state of emergency, something like that. Um, and you just think, like, you can re- you can hear that speech and you just think then, who oh, removes yeah, it? Yeah. Because I mean, he, he could literally just take it from the beginning of V for Vendetta or something like that, you know. The people have, people have planned it. I mean, it's, it's, it's because of the sort of... I hate to say the word deep state, but because you fear that the loyalty of the police, the civil service, the army is towards the conservative end of the spectrum. I mean, we've got fairly good evidence that the army's infiltrated with lots and lots of far right activists. But um, we, you know, it's people who are are attracted to that sort of um, thing. And it's a breeding ground for that sort of thought. So, you know, who, who, who physically removes Johnson from, from number 10? Who, who drags him back to parliament? Who does that? I mean, 
you um you're even thinking about it on a practical level you've got the two ends of downing street well, couldn't that are jeremy off. get one of his mates who is a terrorist to you know blow him up when he i mean normally johnson would be at some point getting in the car between parliament and uh, downing street so it would just uh you know I think you you genuinely you need a tank, and the only people I can think of who've got a tank are the super furry animals. I don't know they had one in the nineties. Whether or not they've sold it yet, I don't know. Boris Johnson but, sold um, one on eBay recently. Oh, his water his water <laughs> cannon. Yeah. Well, maybe we need to contact the bloke who bought that. I don't know, but I'm, it's worry. It genuinely is worrying that there hasn't been. There's been lots of very very bad things that governments of all supposed colours have done in recent years. But there's never been a, a time before when I've genuinely thought they could lose an election and not and refuse to budge. Well, we don't even have to wait for the election to find out whether the government's going to refuse to budge in response to um, a judgment. There's going to be a judgment on you know the day before we record again. It's um, the internet will be the first thing to go. <laughs> well, quite possibly, yeah, um, or you know. The thing is, I don't think we have the mechanism to sort of China-ize the internet here. So it really will just go, won't it? Someone will have to just go and blow up a telephone exchange. Well, they tried to institute the sort of porn block thing, wouldn't they? Which once It's interesting done that, they that, could that be... sort of got, you know, that was going to be like Theresa May's only legacy, and that, even that they gave up on. And I think, I think that was the one thing that was more important to uh, white male shouty voters than um than than brexit i i think that you know if, if you said to them look i'm sorry but this government believes in no porn and brexit they'd have they'd have changed their minds i think it's um i think it's fascinating and it didn't work because of the way they um they i mean it was difficult to do obviously you can see china and north korea and, and things quite easily manage it the idea that what they what they did was outsource it, and they outsourced it to the American porn website people. Yeah, who came up with and the that, brilliant was, idea of, all right, fine, what we'll do is we'll need everyone's credit card details. Nothing could go wrong there. That just smacks of of every piece of of uh, neoliberal um, planning that goes to mind. We're going to get a private company to do that. Oh, they can't do it. Shit. Um, you know, the, the government has similarly spent far too much money on a database of drone owners because, uh, you know, people who fly model drones with four blades are far more evil than the people who've been flying toy planes in the radio-controlled cars for years and years and years. Now you have to pay, and pay more than you need for a shotgun licence. Well, as long as, but when they find out that someone's got both, that's when the that's when the, they move in and and, <laughs> and arrest, right? That's... I know. I think you have to have neither and be definitely nowhere near the scene to get arrested. That's what happened at Gatwick, anyway. I thought we'd um, move on actually from the from Brexit to talk about something else that's happening, and you know, as a, but, but as nothing before, else is happening. Ah, uh, well. <laughs> There is, because um, in the the Labour Party, and this is the bit that we're really meant to be interested in this podcast. I'm there's a, a few, there's a succession of a, a small number of um, trigger ballots and things going on at the moment. The um, as we know, um, quite a lot of um, 
the shadow cabinet were was or suggested that their trigger bats would happen first or kind of as an example and emily thornbury jeremy corbyn and keir starmer have, have all already sailed through the idea that um so not enough um, branches in their constituency parties are interested in having um, a challenge an open challenge to see who uh, stands as the mp in the election um but there's been one uh, as far as i'm aware one successful trigger and then change of councillor even uh, in the in the Labour Party, which has led certain people to go absolutely apoplectic and uh, talk about um, the nihilism of um, momentum, and uh, so that's even that's in my uh, CLP, and I'm a, I know all five members of Momentum. <laughs> or know who they are i mean this is not a large group this is not one that can organize this to happen um and they completely deny it but it's been it's been the removal of one um sitting councillor to who won't be uh be replaced as a candidate for the city council elections that are forthcoming um next may um so that's 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 oh, shock and horror so i was going to ask you adam does the option of improving the stock of Labour MPs without people screaming blue murder still exist. Right, well, um, let's uh, let's address that in its two parts, shall we? Does the option of improving the stock of Labour MPs um, and indeed candidates in other areas exist? Yes, obviously. Somehow people like Kate Hoey have managed to be Labour MPs, so clearly there are, there are flawed people in there. She's she she stood down, hasn't she? So, I, I'm assuming that she, her being such an egregious example, she would have um, not survived the trigger ballot and selection process. But um, but yeah, is that why she stood down, or is it because she wanted to join the, uh, the EDL? Um, <laughs> my point is, I'm confident that there are some people that we'd like to replace. Uh, the problem is that uh, for a long time people have felt that the momentum wouldn't necessarily choose the people or the right people, certainly from my point of view, um, and that creates a sort of fear. So will people scream blue murder? I think they probably will the first time. It's like, you know, there's going to be a wave. There's no but. Can it happen indefinitely? Maybe. Maybe after a little while people won't dislike the process so much maybe it will actually be seen as part of party democracy. Well, it's interesting that um, some of the people who were most upset about it, um, Luciana Berger, uh, Chukramuna, etc., have now moved to a party that has something very similar to what we might call open selection. So it's it's more democratic and less weighted towards sitting MPs than, than the Labour Party. I guess um, they felt... A certain amount of fear about parts of the party that didn't like them, so that you know you can you always have to sort of separate people's dislike of the, our concept and their dislike of what they perceive as the likely outcome for them. And well, that's the that, that I think we, I think we're able to separate that, <laughs> but the media seems willing to go along with their perhaps disingenuous non-separation of those two things. Perhaps it was disingenuous. Perhaps they... I don't know. Perhaps they were openly saying it. You know, perhaps if you actually spoke to them in detail about it, they were like, yeah, I hate this because I'm going to lose my job because these communists are going to replace me. 
Um, but that's interesting, isn't it? Because I think that's a, a way that people talk about it. And I've seen a few Labour MPs talk about, oh, why would you kick a, a working class woman out of her job? And you know, It's not a job. They are representatives. They're not delegates. They have their own minds, but they're representatives. So if they don't represent, either in action or in sort of general you know general um representativeness as it were then it's right that they are no longer the representative i guess uh the concern might stem from the fact that uh those representatives you know the the, the people who are choosing to replace them they're not exercising anything more than their own local elective democ uh elective dictatorship there's no um sort of fundamental guiding principles you'd hope they're you know they would be led by whatever their party's guiding principles but the party's guiding principles aren't involved are they that the people who are voting somebody in and out could be far left or far right within the labor party you know if that just happens to be the larger group in that area indeed but that's, and that's that in, we talk about representation in that sense that they are representing the views of their constituency party well they're representing the views of a major the majority well view. not even the majority view because they'll have to sort of circle around a single person or um you know they're representing the loudest person because we know how you've, you've been to constituency party meetings you know that it's not necessarily the most the majority view that wins it's the the loudest person and the most active and the most aggressive and that's not always the right solution i'm not i think it i think the the loudness and the aggression can play a lot of um terms in shaping the debate but when it comes down to the democratic process it's active in the sense that you know turning up and voting but one of the other things about trigger ballots is what are the rules? As I understand it, uh, a branch with five members has exactly the same weight as a branch with a thousand members, and it's the branches that are added up rather than the um, uh, individual votes. That's true, and that's because this is a sort of, I don't know, composite solution to the to the problem. Um, and uh, Labour. Sorry, of... when you say composite, do you mean shit? Well, I mean, yeah, it's a it's a compromise, and um, it's a compromise because conference didn't last year didn't properly vote for a fair, good, democratic version of open selection. This was the sort of compromise version that we got that essentially lowered the threshold on the old version of it, which was um, which is almost impossible to reach. Um, it's yeah, it's a a proper, a better open selection would would be ideal. But it is true that the Labour parties locally are attempting to do things um about that so there's a consultation in oxford at the moment to redraw the branch boundaries so they are all roughly the same size so that there are they are sort of re, you know redrawing and shuffling and they're trying to make it fair for, for that very reason I, I would imagine the idea that we have a, a sort of set of democracies that work on branch levels for example putting motions through to um to the constituency party or um, uh, in the ideas of how many people sit on the um, executive committees of, a, of the CLPs. And I think you're right, that, that there's a democratic problem there. 
it's a problem that's been created, I think, by tinkering around the edges and being scared of going, right, this doesn't work, we need to do something more democratic. It wasn't, I mean, in the past there was some sort of mandatory reselection, wasn't there? So, yeah, so mandatory reselection, the idea that you would go to straight to an open selection process, um, a sitting MP had no uh, right to necessarily be the candidate at the next election if um, and if can and if people stood against them um that that was what happened and that is fairly open it's not what happens um it's certainly not what happens at the moment um no but then i guess back in the, the it was it was only for a couple of elections time and it gave the power to the unions right it weirdly gave a lot of power to the unions in the in the way that um it wasn't um it wasn't one person one vote um on those selections which that was a weird one and the 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 weird way that um unions can affiliate to branches giving them power is quite a, a weird one which makes the the sort of branch level thing a little bit complicated as well something akin to the uh the way the leader is elected wouldn't um be an awful problem um as long as we actually set that threshold of nominations uh, or whatever at the uh, you know at the right level what we've come here you know full circle to is constitutional change and you know constitutional change is always going to annoy people and until they've seen it work once they're not going to like it and i think um, that's the case and moving uh, to greater and, internal you know, democ- moving to greater internal democracy is something that the right of labor your end of the seesaw is a, a little bit worried about at the moment because the last great movement to better internal democracy didn't go the way they wanted it. To. Let's um, let's go to the second half of you because you separated this. You separated this question out into into two points, and you separated the idea that whether or not it was still possible, and is it possible without the a fuss being kicked. And so, so that I mean, that essentially was what I was driving at. I, I think that you're going to get a lot of fuss the first time out. And then it will either not be that serious because it won't happen in that many cases or it will be misused and then you'll you know, then you'll see calls for changing again. Well I'm um I'm I'm hopeful that I conference is going to be really interesting this year. We're I would I really if we're going to debate three things, I think that I want the, the Green New Deal or the Green Industrial Revolution or whatever we're gonna call it up there. We need probably to come to another i mean presumably you meant to call it the industrial end well well yeah. <laughs> meant to just let the moss and mold and you know other alpha animals take over well i think that's the worry if we don't do as um Nibevan said um the only hope for mankind is democratic socialism and if we're not going to vote for that we are signing the species death warrant but so okay so we've got you know green new deal we've got we've got whatever the sort of brexit thing will be and i think labor's position as articulated by the leadership over the last few days is a which good which half is a good one and the <laughs> the actual leadership not the not the bloke with a diet book to sell the um <laughs> and i think the third one is if we're going to talk about anything we need to talk about internal party democracy again and conference is the only real place to think about that and i think um if momentum have a, a thing they're pushing for 
that's the thing that they're 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 pushing for at this um, conference. They've always they've said that they will stand behind anybody who wants to bring a trigger ballot and to win a trigger ballot, no matter what the constituency is, no matter who the sitting MP is. So not factional, you know, not factionalism. They would they will um, you know attempt to to support that idea of democracy. But I think we need to we get that um, we need to get that sorted out, and that will probably be the thing that produces the most gnashing of teeth at the, at the conference i think yeah and it won't be great timing for it either i mean that's the that's the the awkward thing about this kind of thing is like right now does 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 the world need to see the labor party have another internal squabble from one side or the other or should the labor party be aiming to look as united as possible adam John Mann, Ian Austin, clever or stupid? John John Mann, that that's the guy out of um, uh, Mad Men, right? Yes, John 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 Mann's the very handsome, rugged sixties uh, MP who's now decided to um, stand down as a, a Labour MP, become a cross bench peer from Theresa May's honours list, and head an anti-Semitism. Tsarship, to give it an incredibly inappropriate word, um, for the Tories. Voluntarily taking work in that particular line and helping the Tories by standing down. Well, he's been, has, how, how long has he been stood down? Well, actually, he's, he's, um, he's by standing down um, as a Labour no, already... By standing down as a Labour MP, he has pretty much not helped the Tories. He's helped the Labour Party because okay, we'll, get, right. we'll get a, we'll get a, a, a better, less confrontational, less voting. You know, the, it is hard to think of any Labour MP that would be elected in his stead that would vote with the Tories more because he's voted with the Tories all the way through over Brexit. He is, um, you know, a spokesman for the worst excesses of the parliamentary right. And um, he's, yeah, well, I think with the Labour Party is very, um, very well shot, let's be honest. And he's, and like Frank Field, he doesn't seem to think that he's left the Labour Party by accepting not only a job from the Tories, but sitting as a non-Labour-aligned peer. The um, this is just so, well, well, actually, that, well, out of interest, has he? Well, he, I mean, he will. No, he will. If he sits as an online peer, he will have de facto left the Labour Party in the same way that Frank Field resigning as a Labour MP has. He's resigned his membership of the Labour Party. They're no longer Labour members. You can't. Um, you can't. Or, repre- you can't or represent- Alistair Campbell was evicted from the party for voting the other way. Parties have and, got to, parties. and many of the six hundred thousand members, or however many members it is this week, I would assume rather less, uh, would also have been evicted from the party, uh, presumably if it was known. Well, if they had promoted it before, We're, the parties have got to have rules. Um, the Tory parties have a sort of movable rule, which is essentially whatever the leader thinks. So they have the rules that... Yeah, yeah that was clearly the rule exercised in the Labour Party as well. No, no, it, it clearly, it absolutely clearly isn't. The Labour Party's rules are 
absolutely you know robust and legally enforceable but the um the, the fun bit is of course that the liberal democrats have absolutely no rules or policies or principles or anything if you are an mp no matter whether or not you're uh, homophobic or it seems to be a plus if you're homophobic or anti-gay marriage um you can pop along and join them if you vote for austerity pop along and join them if you've um been if you've said thousands and thousands of times in public like Chucker and like um, Smith, the one that's uh, joined them this week, just how untrustworthy they are. Pop along and join them. The, uh, they're not so much a broad church as a sort of porridge. This is going to be really quick. I'm going to entirely agree that uh, you know, he's an arse. I don't know if that makes him an idiot. Maybe he's very smart to make friends with the people he's obviously aligned to. Um, finally. Maybe he's been dumb for a very long time, but you know, isn't it? Isn't it quite a smart thing to accept a peerage? Doesn't it come with expenses? I don't know. You can uh, shag your dead pig's heads across Westminster Bridge. I don't know. You can do something. The um, it's always something to do with livestock with these people. <laughs> well, I mean, they're going to be talking about livestock a lot, aren't they? If they get their Brexit. And this is, this is, this is, I mean, this is not a new uh, revelation. Um, but while um, Boris Johnson was doing his calisthenics, um, Leo Varadkar was, um, you know, outlining that a hard Brexit or a Brexit without a deal is not the end, how, but merely the start. How did that get no traction here? It was brilliant. He made Boris look like an idiot. He stood there and made Boris look like an idiot right next to him. And somehow... Nobody spent, or you know, there was very little coverage of just how humiliating that was on an international level. No, no one cares. But I do think he, I do think he's hit on a on a good line, and possibly the only line to persuade. You're never going to persuade everybody. There's a good thirty percent of people that remain your side. There are not going ever going to persuade. But the the rest of the the leavers. Are lots of them, as you say, and as you say, you know, we've just got to get this done. So I do think Fradka's line, but not delivered in quite that way, um, is is the line. You know, the hard Brexit's not the end, but it's the start of 10 plus years of tedious trade negotiations. While yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I don't understand why that point hasn't been repeatedly made. I, you know, I think... years of trade negotiations that you are losing from day one. And not only well, whether you win or, or whether well, you that, lose, well, actually, that them, point was made a lot before the referendum. But but, but whether or not be, you win or whether you lose, them, I think you talk about how it. Um, it doesn't I, matter. You're losing until the you know there, there's the negotiation is taking place in a situation when you know whatever result of that deal hasn't taken place. So you do not have the advantages. It's not like, um, you know, let's say you end up with a trade deal which is fine or right. Not as good as before, obviously, but all right. You've still had seven years without any trade deal on WTO rules, which which people have failed to brand as shit. <laughs> WTO rules is the bottom, you know, scraping barrel, worst possible trade arrangements that you can get. It's the same as you get with Iran or well, whatever. Jeremy has um, been... Uh trailing it as a sort of no deal Brexit is Trump deal Brexit which is a way of I think that plays to a sort of important sub swing um, category in certain areas 
I think it does in some places, and I think in other places it has exactly the opposite effect. I think it creates this, oh, look, it's like it's anti-gov, you know, anti-business banging on about, you know, there's, there's a group of people for whom that is a turn off as well as a group of people for whom it is a turn on. So it is a piece of calculus about what one should do, but I think you don't really even need to talk about losing these trade deals because people don't really, it's so far removed. It's like talking in billions. People can't comprehend them so they don't really understand, you know, how they work. None of us can. So the the idea that you actually talk about whether or not you win or lose these trade things doesn't matter. The idea that you go, you thought this Brexit thing would be over. This will be worse. It'll be like a mini Brexit every week. A mini Brexit on fags, a mini Brexit on car park. Low level, low level shit. I don't know how you, and this is the thing, This if you had a, if we had a decent Remain campaign, or if we do have a decent Remain campaign in the supposed referendum that's that, that will come after the general election, the this is the sort of thing that people need to be talking about. It not not it will cost our economy because our economy is an abstract thing, and if you don't feel you're doing well out of the economy, which a vast majority of people are not anyway, it matters not. The GDP doesn't affect you. I mean. It's, an, it's a reflection of not how well you're doing, but how well the rich are doing. And, well, how, yeah. and how many um, of you are still alive. So it's... Um, how do you improve the GDP? You kill a few hundred thousand people who are quite poor. Thin out their numbers. Well, unless they have jobs. They might be poor, but, you know, working in the gig economy or something, those people are helping keep those rich people rich. The only people that should be working in the gig economy are musicians and horses. You don't feel like uh, musicians ought to be given proper contracts? Um, not most of them. I mean, the uh, <laughs> not the not the absolutely appalling um, version of the Red Flag sung by Labour MPs in the chamber this week. Um, you know how... Uh, oh, on, dear, on oh, our, dear. Just on, when you think they're starting to look like a proper government in waiting, just when Jeremy actually stands up and wins a uh, PMQs, and then, oh, dear, what a rabble. It's, you know, as, as our uh, intro music from the 69 conference suggests, no one <laughs> knows the words. Um, and uh, although it was quite interesting to see them... Uh, hold on to Burko and try and prevent him leaving and Burko was quite lucky there because uh, Lloyd Russell has got form for grabbing the mace you've um, been listening to that option no longer exists the podcast where we fight over politics from both sides of the left center left spectrum you can follow us all week on twitter at that option pod you can follow us on facebook if you search that option no longer exists you can listen to all our back issues uh, which are all terribly out of date now, so don't don't bother. Uh, that option uk. Thank you for joining us. We'll see if we're still alive and what the Supreme Court has said next week. Um, I've been John Bands. He's been Adam Juniper. Farewell. Bye. I've often said that I would refuse point blank any honour apart from a peerage because peerage would mean I'd have influence on the democratic process the, um, but uh, none of the others hold any interest to me whatsoever <laughs>